So we went to the baseball game, the Braves game last Saturday. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember this, but no. on the way there, I said we should take Hudson's baseball glove. And we did. We did take it, but <laughs> we are very parked very far away. He's meeting his yeah. whole baseball team there. Yeah. Yeah. We're like a good 20 minute walk away. It's a mile. Yeah. So we get to like the green part of right. the baseball yeah. area. Well, outdoor area where people are waiting. We walk up. Every one of Hudson's friends yeah. has their baseball glove. Yep. And the first friend came over and he was like, Hudson, you forgot your glove. And Ben and Hudson, what do you do? Look you look at, at me. Other. Yeah, look at you. Yeah. And so we have two choices of that. Well, I said you should walk back and get it. I know. Did you do that? No. No. So he, Ben gets out his phone. I'm, I'm old and lazy. Ben gets out his phone, starts looking. Because surely at a baseball game, there's places to buy a baseball glove. We're walking all around. Finally, what was the name of the store? It's like a baseball glove place. Baseball glove place. Missoula. Mizuno. Mizuno. Mizuno, Missoula, like Ryan's one of those. helping us out. Mizuno. Anyway, it, it's a baseball store, glove yeah. store. Yeah. So we go in there. Hudson picks out a glove. We're just not even going to mention the price of the glove. No, let's not talk about that. But he gets a glove. The neat part of while we were standing in there, you're messing with Hudson finding a glove. Well, and the hard part was they really didn't have his current size. So we had to get the smallest glove they have, which was a 11.5. And he couldn't and bend he, it well. He couldn't bend it well, but they well, that, broke so we, it in. We found that out afterwards. That was a good bonus. Yeah. But as we were standing there, you guys were looking at gloves. Somebody comes up and they're like, uh, isn't that Jordan from TikTok? Would she care if I take a picture? So Jordan's getting her celebrity status there. Hudson got a baseball glove. Mm -hmm. By the time we go back to the field area, they're gone. His buddies are gone. But that's okay. I mean, they had all went in, and they were just catching the home runs from, yeah. the, from the players that were practicing. But yeah. he is now the proud owner of a beautiful new glove. Yes, that he's not going to use this year. Hopefully next year. It's going to be a year or two, but we're prepared. Hey, it we gives are me prepared time to, parents. I'll break it in. I'll yes. break it in for yeah. him. So, so anyway. Live and learn as parents. Fun. The moral of the story is mom knows best. Thank you guys so much for joining the Be Kind to Everyone podcast. I am Jackie, and today I am so excited. I have a special guest. Her name is Stephanie, but for years, I have known her through the world of social media as Mrs. D's Corner, as I'm sure we have so many special education and regular education teachers that follow us, so I'm sure many have probably heard of Mrs. D's Corner as well, but she is joining me today, and we are going to talk all about back to school tips. So Stephanie, thank you so much for being on today. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here, and it's Likewise, I have followed y'all for years, so thank you for having me. Very exciting. Before we jump in and start talking about some tips and strategies to make back to school go smooth for teachers, for parents, for students, first, let's back up and have you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, your history, that kind of thing. Yes. So I am a veteran special education teacher and IEP coach currently. I'm no longer in the traditional classroom setting, but I have taught, um, I've done co-teaching, I've done inclusion, resource, self-contained. I've taught ESY through an intermediate unit. 
I have taught in, I've lost count at this point, four or five different states. I'm certified in six or seven different states and I've done everything from K to 12. So I've really been around the block with all the the things. (laughs) Very cool. Very cool. Okay. So one of the things I think we're going to start with first is back to school nerves. You probably have the parent, uh, the, the teacher perspective. I have the parent perspective. I I know, especially on years when Jordan was going to change teachers. So Jordan was in a special ed class. So several years in a row, she'd get the same teacher. And so Mm -hmm. you'd have that second year and you're like breathing a sigh of relief. But those, that first year with a new teacher was very nerve wracking. Is it that way for teachers too? Like, do you get nervous at the start of the school year? Yes. But well, for me personally, yes, it was especially, and I feel like I got more nervous when I taught in the self-contained classroom because I had my students year after year after year. So the very first year I taught self-contained, I just remember the admin coming to me and they're like, okay, we're going to do back to school night and you're going to get to meet all of your parents. And I had to do this like presentation and all of these things. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I don't know why, but it hit me more than any other classroom setting or any other state I've taught in. But that self-contained classroom was so special to me. And the parents were amazing and I loved them and it ended up being just a really good fit for me. And I, I absolutely loved it. I always think that back to school night, it sets myself at ease. It's just that slight connection I got to make with the teacher ahead of time, because you put your kid on that bus or drop them off that first day and it's scary. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, What were the best ways you found to communicate with teachers? I mean, with your students, because the parents, I think the communication is what, at least from a parent's perspective, can make you feel the most at ease. So I try to do a bunch of different things, whether it's back to like the very beginning of school or it is, you know, throughout the school year. Throughout the school year, I would have a parent, like a homeschool communication notebook. Okay. And it would, every day I would fill it out to let them know how their child did. There was a spot for notes. So if they needed to bring anything, or let's say the book fair was coming up, don't forget about the book fair. Or if there was an IEP meeting coming up, don't forget your IEP meeting is on this date. And then parents could put notes in there as well to me. Maybe, you know, Stephanie didn't sleep well last night, just a heads up. Um, just to, so we had that communication going, but email was always really good. I did give my personal cell phone number, which as teachers, if teachers are listening, that is your own personal decision. Right. You know which parents you can and cannot provide your cell phone number to. But I did that with some of my parents and it was just, it was really, really good. And it worked really well for me personally with the parents that I had shared my number with. I can tell you from a parent perspective, that has happened with several of Jordan's teachers. And it was so calming to me. But I think I can speak from a parent perspective, directly to a parent. Do not abuse that. That is a privilege. They are trusting you with their cell phone number. Do not text them at 11 o'clock at night. That's (laughs) their time. But when that teacher gained the trust to do that, it just, it, it set me at ease because suddenly I just knew if there was, you know, something I needed quickly, I had that way. But I can't stress enough to parents don't abuse that privilege. <laughs> and I loved it because then I could share pictures yes. with 
parents throughout the day. If we went on a field trip, I could take little videos of their child and send it to them or just send them pictures throughout the day. If they mastered a skill or were working on something new, or, you know, they did something in the general education classroom with their peers. So it also just created that rapport, not only for just, Hey, I need this or, Hey, this is coming up. It's like, here's pictures and videos of how your kid's doing today. Like, look at this. So it's funny. The last teacher Jordan had for the last couple of years was a male. And he and I joke about it all the time now. But I, the thing I was the most nervous about it as I was like, Ugh, is he going to be able to communicate well with me? I think I'm so used to Ben in our marriage communicating like two words. <laughs> That's what I was expecting from John. Ben will be able to the next podcast to defend himself there. But John ended up being, I mean, Jordan's had all fabulous teachers. He ended up probably being one of the best communicators we ever had. And I, I brought it up to him one day and I kind of said, you know, I really expected you not to be good at this. And he goes, because I'm a man. I said, eh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> and he told me, he said his very first year of teaching, he had a parent in an IEP meeting that looked at him and said, my child is not going to come home and tell me a single thing about this day. So the only thing I'm going to learn is what you pass on to me. And he goes, it hit me hard. I went home that night and I was sitting at dinner with my kids and I thought, how would I feel if they couldn't tell me anything about their day? And he said, I made a commitment at that point. If anything, I'm going to overshare. But he said, it just puts parents at ease. And I was like, oh, it does. So um, that it was just something that has always stuck with me that the need for communication I think can make the whole difference, even in making the teacher's life easier, because it it creates a bond with the parent. It does. Yeah. And there's so many things that y'all as parents know, like y'all are with your kids, you know, your kids better than we do. And we have to work together, not just for IEPs, but just for the overall school year as a whole. Like there's so many things that y'all know about your daughter that your teacher doesn't know. And there's things that, you know, maybe I would do in school that maybe my parents would never see at home. And you, you never figure those things out if you don't have that open communication. Yes. Yes. It's interesting when we were talking about you were sharing, you know, ideas of communicating from a teacher's side. One thing I did, I got it from a friend several years ago is when I first would meet the teacher writing kind of a letter about Jordan. And I always laughed because I don't know if it was helpful for the teacher at all, but it was always therapeutic to me to write down those little things that I knew as a mom, I wanted my teacher, the teacher to know if she starts crying, here's what I would do. You can do whatever you want, but maybe try this. And it was just, it put my mind at ease being able to share all those things. But I also wasn't constantly emailing, oh, and here's this and here's that. It was just all right. And one thing I would email it and say, if you find this helpful, great. If not, it's okay. I had a parent, my, it was actually my very first year teaching self-contained. And I had this student for two of my three years that I taught self-contained. She ended up moving to the middle school, but this parent gave me at back to school night. She gave me the, this Bible. So it was like Stephanie's Bible. And it was all about like Stephanie as a child and what she likes and doesn't like, and you know, her favorite things. And it was 
it was so helpful. So anytime we had a new therapist come in that would work with Stephanie and I'm using my own, right, yes. but anytime a new therapist would come in and work with Stephanie or, you know, maybe we had an upcoming IEP meeting or we just needed a refresher. I wonder why Stephanie's doing this, or maybe we should try this with Stephanie. We would always pull it out. I would always have it at my desk and it was so helpful for everyone that worked with this child. Yes. That's awesome. So hopefully that gives parents some ideas because I think it's very helpful, like you said, to a teacher, but I think it's also just very helpful and therapeutic for a mom as well to be able to go through and do that. So any other tips you have for helping get like that maybe a parent could do at home or even that the teacher could do in the classroom in the beginning to help get their kids going in that right direction and off to a good start? Yeah. So the one thing but that parent or teachers ask me all summer long, what should I do now to get started? Or I have, you know, I'm teaching this classroom. So it doesn't matter what classroom setting you're in. The one thing that you want to do is make sure you have all of your visuals set up. So in a self-contained classroom, in a resource classroom, that might look like your visual schedules being set up. And that's something super easy. You don't have to have your schedule in place. We know that that's going to change a million times throughout the school year. But having all of your icons ready or having just student individual schedules ready to go or specials icons so that you have them ready, ready to go. They're printed, laminated. You don't need to worry about them. They're already ready to go for that first day of school. And then what comes into play with parents is as your child is getting ready to go back to school, put them on a schedule. Well, maybe they're waking up at a certain time and then they have to do maybe they have to brush their teeth and eat breakfast. It doesn't have to be a whole day scheduled out, but just a couple of things to get them back in that routine of being on a specific schedule. And you can even use your own visuals at home as well to get them used to using different icons to represent different things. That is one of the biggest things for both parents and teachers that we can all do to help set the whole you know, child up for success when it comes to back to school. That's a good point because if you have a child that kind of struggles with change and they've gotten used to sleeping till 10 o'clock, don't wait till the day school starts to have them <laughs> getting up at 6.30. You know, ease that in to make yeah. that transition easier because it's going to be easier on the mom, the parents and On the everyone. teacher. Yes. Yes. Everyone. Um, That's probably my biggest piece of advice is just the, get your visual schedule set up and all of your visuals ready because that is a game changer for back to school. Yes. Have you done much with social stories? I have. I've taken okay. uh, the social stories training from Carol Grace, can who you, is like the creator of social stories. Yep. And can you first um, explain yeah. a little bit about what a social story is? Sure. So social stories are stories that you write for students to help them through a specific, whether it's a task or an event that's coming up. So let's say that Stephanie has an assembly coming up and, you know, it's a big change from the schedule and we're all worried about how she's going to perform. Maybe she has anxiety about schedules. So what you would do is you would write a story specifically for Stephanie. It's Carol Gray's in her whole presentation mm -hmm. and she has a bunch of information on her website. Social stories work best when they are written for the individual student. Now you can get some that are more generalized, but you want them to be written specific for that student. So specifically for Stephanie's environment and wherever possible, you want to use real pictures from Stephanie's environment, whether that's home or school or the community. So you would write a story about what going to this assembly is going to look like. Maybe it's Stephanie is going to come in off the bus and here's your morning routine. Maybe the assembly isn't until the afternoon. So maybe you're, you say in the social story, your whole morning is going to look the same over a couple of pages. 
But then after lunch, we're going to go to specials real quick. And then specials are going to be cut 15 minutes short because we have an assembly. An assembly is this. This is what the assembly is about. Here's where we're going to sit. Here's how we act in an assembly. And then after the assembly, here's what's going to happen after that. So it's really just, it's like the visual schedule, yes. but it's in a story format and it uses real pictures from the child's environment. So either one like a parent could do that before school ever yeah. starts and start practicing that, going over it maybe every night before you go to bed and have a countdown of, so they start to get prepared for this is what's coming. Yes. Uh, people that have listened to our podcast know I am a big proponent in practicing change because change happens in our life, whether we want it to or not. And so for Jordan, that's always been big. But for a lot of kids, I know social stories has been a big tool or visual schedules in helping so they can see the change coming up. But I think the thing for parents to remember is change is going to happen all the time in life. So find that strategy that's going to help with that. So yes. something else we get a lot of on our different social media platforms is friends. Jordan is so blessed to have some amazing friends. And a lot of those have been formed through school. Um, but we get so many parents say, I so wish that my child had a friend. They eat lunch by themselves. They go to recess by themselves. Are there things as a teacher, you suggest for helping the teacher kind of make those interactions and those friendships happen or things parents can do? What are your thoughts on that? I think one of the big things, and this could be a whole podcast episode right. in and of itself when it comes to just making friends and inclusion is teaching the, the, the neurotypical students about disabilities, not just autism, not just Down syndrome and the ones that we see more prevalently, but all of them and about specific students. And this can be done in so many different ways. Children's books are a great way to introduce students to students who are, you know, have autism or have Down syndrome or have cerebral palsy, use a wheelchair. Maybe they have an eye patch, like there's children's stories for everything. So I think it really starts with that. And once we educate the broader, you mm -hmm. know, audience of, of kids, kids are very accepting. And I think once they know that, then they're more likely to at recess be like, Stephanie, Hey, do you want to come play? Or if the teacher initiates that, right. Stephanie, why don't you go play with these students? Or if they have like a peer mentor, I think that that just makes it a little bit easier, but that, I think that's a good starting place, especially for making friends, but then the teacher and the parents, there are so many different ways to just initiate play between peers and not everything in, and I'm, I might get a lot of hate from this for maybe administrators, <laughs> but not everything in a special education classroom or general education classroom has to be academic. There's so many life skills that kids need to learn. Even adults, we yes. still need to learn these and making friends and being a good friend is one of them. So I think that's really important to remember as well. That brings up a story of when Jordan was in middle school and she was going to one of her very first dances and I was nervous and she gets there. So I'm hanging off at the side and all of a sudden the song comes on and she and another individual with a disability started dancing to it, but it was like the line dance type thing. And I mean, I am sitting over there and my mouth is dropped open. Like 
how does she know this? So I take a video of it and I had no idea. And I posted it that night on my, this was well before the shirt shop. I posted on my personal page and I was like, you guys, I mean, I had tears and her teacher commented on it. And she goes, we've been practicing that at school. She goes, I knew Jordan was going to start going to dances and I wanted her to fit in. And I mean, I, to this day, it still gives me chills because the teacher just, it wasn't something in her IEP. It was just the teacher saw a need and thought this is a good way to fill it. And I mean, it made my mother heart so excited and filled. And so I never want teachers to think they're not making a difference in those, what seems like such a little thing, teaching someone a dance. You might be like, how does that, what does that have to do with school? It was huge for Jordan. So yes, that what you said just made me remember that story. And it's always been one of my favorites. <laughs> oh, I love that's a great story. Yes. I love that so much. And I really want to like hug that teacher. I because know. That is, that is the epitome of why I do what I do as a special education teacher. And same for all the other teachers. Like that is what we're here for. Yes. And, you know, I think it's a reminder to parents too, when you see things like that, especially if you knew it came from the teacher, you need to let that teacher know how amazing they are. I think teachers are often so underthanked in the world. Um, let them know it's amazing and how much you appreciate it. And as parents too, if you know that there's a dance coming up and you are like, Hey, I know Stephanie has this dance coming up or we're getting ready to go to this event what can we work on at home? Is there anything that you can work on at school that would help prepare Stephanie for this? And that's a great conversation to have. You can absolutely 100% ask for help with that because those are such important life skills. Yes. And they just, they truly make our day so much better because, you know, as teachers, we have all of those like rules and policies and we just follow follow the curriculum. And, you know, sometimes the best thing that our kids need is just not what's on the lesson plan. And that's a perfect example of, of that. Yes. Yes. That, yeah, it it just uh, makes me smile. Okay. I think there's no way we could do a back to school talk without IEPs. First of all, we do have some listeners that that don't have a loved one necessarily with an IEP. Tell everybody in briefly, what is an IEP? What does it stand for? What is it? Sure. So an IEP, it stands for Individualized Education Program. It is a federal special education law. So it is a federal law. And basically what it is, is it is a program or a plan for students that have disabilities and qualify for special education services to help them access the general education curriculum. Okay. All right. So how do you make sure that you're starting the year off on a good note with parents? You're both kind of on the same page. What do you, what do you suggest there? Oh man, when it comes to IEPs, there's so many things. I love talking about IEPs. This is like, oh, my love language of teaching. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) Um, the first thing that I recommend for teachers when it comes to new school year, new IEPs, or if you have your students returning back from the last school year where they they come to you for a couple of years, is one thing you want to do is get those IEPs, look at those annual due dates, see if a re-eval is coming up, and just put them all in your calendar. That way you know that they're all coming, who's due when, and all of those things. But then also have a conversation with the parent. Maybe you just call them and you're like, Hey, I am Stephanie's teacher this year, X, Y, Z. I see in her IEP that it says ABC. How is Stephanie's summer? Is there any changes that we need to be made aware of? Or is there anything that maybe you have 
from last school year that you want to change this year because you can make amendments to an IEP at any time. It doesn't have to be at the annual IEP meeting, but just having that open conversation and letting them know like, hey, we can change anything at any time. Here's where we're starting. This is what we're going to be working on the first couple of weeks. And if there's ever anything that you want me to look at in more in depth or talk about, I'm here to have that conversation. Okay. Yeah. I I think that's a really important thing as well. I also think parents, I think remembering we're all working together for the same goal. Um, It's not a teacher versus student. I mean, a teacher versus parent, parent versus, I always wanted to be as close to that teacher, like, hey, what can I be doing at home to help reach these goals? Because at the end of the day, I need to be as involved, I need to be more involved because she is my child for the rest of her life. Um, so I think, you know, that getting that parental involvement for us, we always like to see also, you know, telling that teacher, we've got a lot of great goals here. If I could make progress on any one goal this year, this is what it would be for us. Do you have any special things? So at least that teacher knows, Hey, this is what we're kind of finding as most important. Because let's be honest, sometimes those IEPs, it's a lot. It's, it's a, a lot. lot. Yeah. <laughs> so for a parent to go in and think, okay, we're going to meet every goal this year, that's probably not a realistic expectation. So get your goals in check in your mind and think, okay, if we could make big gains on one thing, what would it be? But I think letting that teacher know where your mind is, is helpful. I don't know if you think that, but I I think it, it is from a parent perspective. No, absolutely. And that's not only a great conversation to have it back to school, but also when that annual IEP comes up or when you have an amendment, because you are going to have some different academic goals. You're going to have your social goals. You're going to have maybe behavioral goals, functional, um, like your ADLs, activities of daily living, your, your life skill goals. So it's really important that the parent perspective is displayed and showcased in the IEP as well as the students, um, what they like, what they don't like, what they want to work on. And really, yes, you might have six goals that you're working on this school year, but sitting with the parent and being like, what is most important to you? What is your vision statement for your child and where and how and what and you know, all of those questions, where do you see Stephanie, you know, long-term, what do you want her to learn? What skills can we work on now? Whether it's first grade, fifth grade, seventh grade, 12th grade, what can we work on now to set her up for success for that? So that's absolutely a great, a great idea and something you should be doing. Kind of an example of that was when Jordan was in middle school, we had been working on trying to tie her shoes for years. And the occupational therapist just brought up in the IEP, she was like, I really think we need to just drop this goal. I, I, I don't think we're going to get it. I don't know why I just started crying. And I was like, I, I can't, I can't let go of this. And so I just went into that. I was like, autism has taken a lot from her. She loves shoes. I, and they were like, Hey, if it is that important to you, let's look at some new strategies. Let's keep going. And then she did get it. But it was one of those from anyone else. It probably didn't seem like a big deal. You can wear shoes without ties, but I needed to let them know my heart is in this. We, we, I need this goal still in there. And they're like, okay, we got it. We got it. But had I not, and I left the meeting, I, I would have been dwelling on it. Yes, absolutely. Parents advocate for yourselves and what you want for your child, because otherwise we don't know. Right. You know, we can give our opinion professionally, but ultimately y'all are the ones that are with them for their lives. So your voice is, it's honestly, I'm going to get a lot of hate from this from teachers, (laughs) but your voice is ultimately 
a lot more important than the rest of the IEP team's voice. Yes. Yes. So I, yeah, I think there's been a lot of really good tips shared. Can you think of anything I didn't ask you? I mean, I really, you and I could talk about this for hours, oh my gosh. Yes, but forever. is there anything that you're like, ah, oh, I really wish I would have gotten to say this. I think the only, the one thing that, and this is something that I'm working on with my platforms, educating not only parents, but also teachers as well, is that when it comes to IEPs and IEP goals, they don't all have to be academic. And if you do have an academic goal, I encourage you to think of it in terms of a way of looking at it from a functional skill perspective. So for example, you know, we have state standards and mm -hmm. typically in like first and second grade, students are learning what money is and can you identify a nickel, a quarter, a dime and a penny and how much is a dollar? Sure, you can write IEP goals for that, but is that really going to serve the student long term? Instead, you could write a goal for student will pay for a service or student will be able to round up to make sure they have enough money to pay for something that they want to buy. Those are much better IEP goals for students long-term than being able to identify coins and how much they're worth. Those skills are built into those other skills. Right. So I encourage both parents and teachers just to think outside of the box when it comes to those academic skills and tying it into things that you do every single day that we as neurotypical people don't really think about. We just pay for it. Here's the money. Right. But just thinking about things that we do every day that maybe we can accommodate and modify to help our students succeed long-term. The other thing I think of that when you, when you say that is we sometimes still, at least I do, get stuck in the idea of a goal written back the way it always was, Jordan's 21. But mm -hmm. honestly, so much has changed in the world. I mean, a neurotypical 16-year-old struggles to count out change at this point because everything is yeah. like card and on your phone. And yeah, so sometimes things have become so much easier, but we try to go back and teach our kids the hard way when they maybe don't, right. when they don't need that. So, yeah, for yeah. sure. Think about things that, you know, I was having a conversation a couple of months ago with another teacher and she was just sharing that how, when she writes IEP goals, if they're going to go, you know, if we're learning how to do a service, she'll go to a restaurant and write down all of the steps of all of the things that it took to go to a restaurant and eat dinner. And I was like, that is a great idea yes. because we do so many things we don't even think exactly. about, but we have to teach our students how to do these as parents and teachers. So, I mean, there's just so many things that you could write IEP goals about. It doesn't have to be about counting change. Yes, that, that is a <laughs> great point. Well, I would love to have you back on again sometime, really just to even talk about goals, IEPs. But for today, yeah. I need to start wrapping up. I want everybody to know how they can find you, social media, website, all of that. Can you share that with our listeners? Sure. So I am the teacher behind Mrs. D's Corner. So mrsdscorner.com, also Mrs. D's Corner, Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, YouTube, all of the things. And then if you want specific IEP help, the Intentional IEP is my other website that I also manage and run and have founded. So theintentionaliep.com. You can also find us on social media as well. Okay. And like I said, you guys, I've been following Mrs. D's Corner for years, and I have always found it so helpful from both the parent and the teacher side. I think you have a lot of both following you. I even like reading the yes. comments because I feel like I get good perspective on both. So I have gotten a lot from that over the years, and I'm just so excited that you took the time to spend it with us today. I think our followers will enjoy following you as well. 
Yes. Well, thank you so much for having me. I would love to come back. I will. We could talk for hours about anything. Inclusion, IEP, I'm here for it. You let me know. (laughs) All right. Thanks so much for joining. And thank you all for listening along. If you want to find us on social media, it's at Summer Shirt Project. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. One of these days, YouTube, but I've been slacking on that. So anyway, our website is BeKindToEveryone.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening to the Be Kind to Everyone podcast. We know your time is valuable and we appreciate you spending it with us. Word of mouth is the number one way people learn about new podcasts. So we need your help for people to find us. Please, please, please tell everyone you know about our show. To learn more about our story and see our shirts, go to BeKindToEveryone.com. Thanks for listening. Have a good day, you guys.